Welcome to the Dark Zone, an adventure racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. In adventure racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to a special episode of the Dark Zone. This is the audio file of a Facebook Live that was held in July of 2022 with Anna and Tim of Rib Mountain Racing. Anna and Tim, along with their partners, Jesse and Richard, captured second in Rootstock Racing's The Endless Mountains this past June, a five-day race held in Pennsylvania, which we'll be returning for a 2023 edition. We appreciate Anna and Tim coming on and talking about their race and their experience, and they really go deep on how great things were for them. So credit to them. Um, this is the audio file, obviously. You could head over to Facebook if you want, and you could watch the video alongside this if you so choose. It's available on the USARA website. Speaking of USARA, right around the corner of the September, our USARA Nationals held out in Bishop, California. We'll have an interview in the next few weeks with the race director for that experience. It's going to be a great race, going to be a lot of fun. 30 hours of racing with the best teams in the country. Anybody out there could sign in, sign up and get in on it. We hope that you do. Uh, it is not to be missed. I've seen pictures of the course. I've spoken to the director. It is a beautiful race and will be a great place for nationals. So feel free to dive right in. But until then, sit back and relax and enjoy Anna and Tim of Rib Mountain Racing as they tell us all about the Endless Mountains. Have a good day, everyone. Okay, here we go. It's 8 o'clock here on the East Coast of America. And uh, Anna and Tim, who are masters at adventure racing, are now trying to master their computer. Um, Dave Gedney, who's working uh, feverishly in the background to keep us up and running here, has just given me the signal that we are live to the Internet. Um there we go. That's us. I could see us right there. So welcome everybody out there in the whole world. We're glad that you're here. Um, we are delighted to present um, via USARA, United States Adventure Racing Association, uh, alongside the Dark Zone podcast. We're delighted to bring aboard um, from Rid Mountain Racing. We have uh, Tim Buchholz and Anna Numelin. They had a very, very successful Endless Mountains Adventure Race and are kind enough to join us tonight. Um, before we get into that, I want to take care of some business and I want to make it a point that I want to thank all the sponsors that we have who came on board for helping us out this year. Um, we want to make it a point to thank um, the 2022 USARA seasons, presented by Toyota Tundra. Toyota Tundra, thank you very much. Uh, Gear Junkie is the official media partner for USARA. Thank you, Gear Junkie, for your updates and all your reports and all your writing you're doing for us. Dave Gedney is working hard in the background and is uh, is going to run our pictures. And he's been fantastic getting this set up big on the promotion to everybody. So we're glad to have everybody out there tonight. Um, and we are joined by our guests. We have, uh, as I said, we have Anna Numelin and Tim Buchholz. They are members of Rib Mountain Racing, um, a very successful team. They're having a great year. Uh, they've been on the top of the podium a lot this year. And they're going to, they've been on the podium so much that they were unable to list all of the races they've won this year. So they have to be a little bit less humble and more bragging about what they're doing. Um, but they're from Wisconsin and no one out there brags about things. We've heard about the folks in the Midwest. Um, we're delighted to have them here right now. They came in second at the inaugural Endless Mountains Adventure Race, a, a five-day trek across the uh, wild PA of Pennsylvania, uh, put on by Rootstock Racing. And uh, Anna and Tim did a great job. So before we get into your race and before we talk about all the questions we have, if you want to talk and Tim about Rib Mountain Racing, your racers, your race directors, your promoters, you're very successful. Aside from Endless Mountains, how's your season going so far? How's everything going? And thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having us, Brian. Um, yeah, it's been a good season so far. We started out uh, with a kind of last minute um, signing up for the Florida Sea to Sea 72-hour expedition race across Florida. Um, Jesse Spangler and Hunter Leininger reached out, and uh, they're both awesome people and awesome racers. And uh, we kind of signed up for that pretty last minute. Like, I feel like it was like a month before and and went down to Florida and uh, ended up winning that one. Um, so that, that was a really fun start to the season. Um, then, you know, Wisconsin's got a great series of races in the Wisconsin Adventure Race Series. we got 13 races this year in between Wisconsin, uh, Eastern Minnesota, and Northern Illinois. So um, most of which are kind of in that like eight to 12 hour range. 
Um, so we've gotten to do a lot of what we call those sprint races this year, right? Um, just did a seven hour race this last weekend. Um, and it did, you know, there's just some great race directors. Anyone that came out for nationals last year, Paula puts on a couple different races a year that are always fun. We, we missed her big one because we were at endless mountains, but her six hour sprint race in the beginning of April is always fun. And, um, yeah, it's been a great season of racing. So before we get into the endless mountains and thank you to everybody out there in the world who sent in questions, we have literally 15 questions to go through in the hour that we're together and we'll cover as many as we can. Talk to us a bit about what do you think is the primary reason behind your success? Have you been racing a long time? Do you credit navigation, fitness, nutrition, the overall success that you're feeling? Is it the fact that there's no competition? That could always be a reason. I don't think it is. But what is it that has got you to your level of success? I think, I think for us, um, when we started out racing 20 years ago, 17 or 18, no, 17, years, ago. 18 years ago, um, we were, we were pretty much finishing back of the pack, you know, last place every time. And, um, it's something we just, you know, we just really loved and stuck with, and it's our primary sport for both of us. Like, unlike other people who come out of other sports and into adventure racing, this is kind of our main our main sport from the get-go. It's the first sport either of us really did. Yeah. <laughs> so I think just doing it for so many years, um, we gradually learned. I, I think I think adventure racing favors experience a lot. And so um, every after every race in the car ride home, we would be like, what can we do better? How can we make our transitions better? Like, what can we do? And we still do that to this day. And I think just so many years of doing it has, um, a built a lot of experience and B built a base of endurance. So, you know, in the early years, we used to have to go and train overnight and do all this training and we still train, but it's like your body just kind of knows what to do after so many years of doing endurance sports. So probably a, a bit of both of that. And then also Tim has worked on navigation a lot over the years. And so that's, that's kind of the primary thing that's helped us out in adventure racing is going in the right direction most of the time. Most of the time. And one of the goals of this, this, this webcast tonight, this, this Facebook live slash podcast is we want to give the newer racer the opportunity to reflect on their own performance. And I appreciate the fact that you began your talk today by, by first off talking about the amount of time that you've been racing, but also recognizing the fact that in the beginning of your career, you really struggled and you really had to grow into the sport. And over time, all those pieces come together. Right. And so anybody who's out there, who's just getting into adventure racing, and if they, if they feel demoralized at all, and please don't, because we all start at the back of the pack. Um, Rib Mountain is a really good example of, of how you grow over time. And I've, we've been there too, right. Uh, as Brent Friedland shared at the, at the pre-race meeting at Endless Mountains, their premier race Stockville, I got knocked out of that race halfway through day one. Right. The first time yeah. I did it. And then several years later, I did really well at it. Right. So that's a good thing for you to bring up here for the newer racer. Um, and for the newer racer, too, this was a five day race. And many newer racers think they're never going to race that distance. I'm assuming that when you began racing, if I said to you, you're going to race for 120 hours, you probably would have been like, uh, we're good at eight hours. When did you first jump into your first expedition race? You remember when? Um, I think our, uh, well, so my first expedition race was the Wyoming, uh, world championship. Um, well, you might count. I'm sorry. sorry. That was your, that was your, okay. Oh, that was your first, your first expedition race. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then many years previous to that, when we were living in Florida, we did, we did race coast to coast. Um, and yeah, had definitely, definitely didn't finish as well as we had wanted to. Didn't have the outcome we had wanted to. We had never raced that long. We didn't know about sleep strategy. We Our sleep strategy was basically we didn't sleep at all. And that was kind of right. the end of us. <laughs> it's By a very simple it, strategy. We had, well, you know, like not, you never know. You don't know until, and it wasn't like now where you have so many online resources and support groups and, you know, people sharing, you know, what do you do? How do you do an expedition race? You know, we were just kind of like, right, well, right. let's just do it. Like we do our 24 hour races. And um, we ended up having to drop out like this far from the finish line being very far ahead, you know, and we had to drop out because we didn't sleep. Exactly. And you just fall apart. And and I do want to mention for the for the folks who signed on to the live stream out there, we are monitoring the chat box inside the live stream. So feel free to put your questions right into the live stream as we're looking oh. at it here. Don't hesitate to do that. 
Um, I do appreciate, we, we'll get to sleep strategy in, in a second there, Anna, but I do love the fact that your your initial sleep strategy in your earlier races was, I will we will just race until we can no longer race anymore and then we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Usually that's a, 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 a wonderful <laughs> explosion on the race course and that happens. <laughs> Everything falls apart. Um, before we come back into sleep strategy, we're going to get there eventually, is I want to talk a bit about navigation. That was one of the questions that came across in, in the that we saw when we solicited for questions. Um, I have examples of the many race maps that we had there um, over the course of the race. I think we're well over 20, 30 maps were given out as part of the Endless Mountains. Um, how do you, it's hard enough to, for example, there's a, this weekend is the main summer adventure race, right? A 24 hour race, maps go an hour before, 24 hours of racing, multiple maps, right? And you have a certain amount of time to go through the maps. What was what was Rib Mountain's strategy? Did you sit down and go through all of the maps at the beginning of the race? Did you do a section at a time? Did you get an understanding? Like, walk us through and, and think of the beginner when you when you answered this question. Walk us through what is your strategy from the moment they hand you the map to the moment they say start. What is your what is your practice? What's your procedure? Yeah, typically for this race and really any race, the the we do a really quick and dirty just run through of what the race course looks like. Like and it, that could literally just be saying like paging through the instruction and saying, we're going to, we're going to start with a run. Then we bike, then we pack raft, then we run, then we bike, then we run, then we paddle, then we run, then we paddle, then we run. Right. That's kind of what this race was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we just kind of get that in our heads. Maybe that takes a minute or two. Um, then the next priority is making sure we get the bike routes figured out. Um, it's, it's, I think that's um, it's the hardest thing to do on the fly is look at bike routes, especially when it spans multiple maps. So kind of get that like figured out, uh, measure as as time allows, like measure out some distances, put those distances on the map. That's a figure priority out, Figure out different routes. Is on the bikes, yeah. Yeah, and in, in, in this race, right, there was so much to go through, we divvied things up we between all of us. So all of us had different sections we were looking at. Um, Anna and, and Jesse did like a killer job figuring out the routes. Actually, that was just, yeah, on that, that whatever bike that was, bike F. Um, Right. Somehow, uh, Mark Latanzi put up times for those sections, and uh, I, I think a big part of why we put a bunch of time on that section F was was Anna found a killer route through that section using the supplemental map, um, and like routes through that. So I think we're, we're divvying things up. Um, uh, R- Richard was looking at route for like the overall big trek. Uh, Jesse was kind of floating back and forth, looking different things. I was trying to measure some out stuff for earlier in the race. So it's just kind of like trying to get those bike routes figured out is a big thing. So you can always kind of do some of the trek stuff on the fly, not in endless mountains because it was over like six or seven maps. So that was a little tougher to like, you know, you had to kind of piece it together and then figure out what that, what that route was going to look like. And and you want to look at both like what, you know, what the route is, just the sheer distance, but also the elevation that you're going to be going and factor that in. And then also what looks like dirt roads versus what looks like paved roads. So all three of those things um, kind of factor into your bike route. And, and to your, and, and so a common structure inside of a, an adventure race team is that the there's a lead navigator, there might be a backup navigator, and then the other two teammates commonly pay attention to the macro, the big part of it. Recognizing you had five days worth of maps to look at, I'm assuming that you had discussed the, the divvying up strategy before the race, but also on top of that, you had faith in each other to do a good job at it. Because navigators, lead navigators are very often known for the idea that whoever he or she may be, they have to sit on these maps for five days. They're they're going to be the ones who are going to live and live and breathe with those maps. Yeah. And as a result, they're not really keen on sharing them. So for the maps to be handed to another teammate to do the routing to then come back required a pretty early show of faith in the strength of the team. Yeah, absolutely. And we were we were bouncing ideas off each other in the whatever two hours we had before the race. And then certainly even like leading into sections, like on the very last trek of the race. Um, I hadn't had a chance to look at those maps at all until we got there. So I, I took the first page and I said to Jesse, Hey, help me figure out a route between these four points later on. So, so while I'm navigating to the first checkpoint, he's actually looking at a map of what's coming up later. And then he can bounce it off me when we got a section of, you know, flat trail to run for a little bit. So yeah, we, we were absolutely trusting each other to kind of, uh, look at those routes, figure that out and, and, uh, mm-hmm. know that that was the most efficient way to do it. And it's hard so, to hand the so maps you- off to another navigator in the middle of a race because well, well an expedition you probably have to at some point but um or it's more likely to but like when you have a lead navigator and they've been on the maps for days and they're familiar with it 
like it's harder for another person who hasn't been on the maps for days to just all of a sudden like orient themselves and be able to navigate. So right. yeah, it's tough in that way too. We had interviewed a team hunting Bigfoot who had a, a very, very strong race. They were they, a mid-pack team, did very well, touched every part of the course, finished the race in, in, in a great place. And they were just ebullient when they talked about their experience. And they took a different strategy, right? So to your point, Anna, it's hard in the beginning for the lead navigator to, to someone else to step into that role, very challenging. They kind of prepped for that. And when they began to get mentally exhausted, they turned to their other two teammates and say, can you step in and work on this now? I think that was mostly to support the lead navigator, not take over navigational strategies. I think that's a very common, mm-hmm. what we're seeing there. Um, as we as we transition into our next question, let, let me ask you real quickly. I'm assuming that for the most part, the navigation held up the entire race. Was there any part of the race with the navigation where you found yourselves really turned around due to the dark, mm-hmm. due to the fatigue? And then when that happens, what did you do? What was your strategy to, to resolve that? Do you go back to the last known location? Do you just kind of figure it out? Like, what did you do when you realized that things were upside down a little bit? I, I think the, the biggest struggle, and you'll certainly see it when you look at our splits for the race, is that the big trek, which is section E, um, there when I was on those maps, kind of throughout on and off, there was just stuff that wasn't quite lining up. Some some trails that looked like they were GPSed in that must not have been GPS, they must have been hand-drawn or something, um, that just weren't quite lining up exactly, which was throwing me off a bit. And we found out later in the race, uh, like on the very last stage of the race, that uh, there was a, one of the supplemental maps matched up with that trek um, and had a bunch of information that would have been incredibly helpful to us <laughs> that I think lost us quite a few hours. So um, that that was that was a big thing. I was thinking, oh, man, there's just, you know, sometimes in those USGS maps, the detail isn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the newer, and I shouldn't say detail, but like new information uh, isn't there. Names of roads, how prominent they are, even newer roads and trails that aren't on the old USGS um so so i think that threw us off a bit um you know maybe going on to like that 40 plus hour mark without sleep um i I could feel myself getting tired and we knew we were we were basically just trying to get to a high point to sleep so um so that that was a point where it was just like okay let's just fight the fight the sleep monsters and get through this and get to a point where we can get some, get some rest for about three hours and then woke up the next day and felt super fresh. But I could certainly sense myself getting to that point. Maybe on the very last checkpoint we were, we were getting where we were just getting like looking around and they were entering and all of a sudden you see the same tree you're at a minute ago and you realize you just went in a very small circle. <laughs> so. Right. And then it's just, and, and to your point, it's about getting high, resting, taking it easy, and then getting back into the race. Yeah. Um, along now, so so let's shift a little bit over to, we have a question from Brian Menard, who's from a team Moon Howlers. Brian was at yeah. Endless Mountains. Hey, Brian. He's curious about what, w- what was your nutritional plan for Endless? Was it solid food, liquid nutrition, like four-hour fuel that Bend has? Was it scratch? Was it spring energy is getting very popular now? Like, you know, hundred and almost 120 hours of racing, you went through a lot of calories. What did, what was your plan? And then did your plan match up to your teammates? How did you work through that? So we had meetings leading up to the race where we talked about everything that we were going to eat, what types of food we were going to eat, how many calories per hour. So we could all be kind of on the same page with that. Um, Tim and I being less experienced expedition racers, um, we kind of took our regular food strategy into it. So um, we usually consume between like uh, roughly like an average, like 200 calories per hour. Tim's a little bit less than I do. Um, so that's like something every single hour. So it's, sometimes it's race food, like goose, if you know, you're going to be going fast and it's hot. Sometimes it's bars, sometimes it's a bag of chips or like, you know, like snack foods, like M&Ms or whatever. But in this race in particular, we tried to supplement more with real foods and that was a total game changer. So like I packed little like Hawaiian sandwiches with, um, cheese and meat or wraps with banana and peanut butter. Um, the Hawaiian sandwiches are something I learned from Emily and Earl. Uh, they keep for a couple of days. I actually boil potatoes. Um, any of the real foods that you pack are going to last for a maximum of about 48 hours. So you want to do those in the first couple of days. After that, the real foods we planned on were things in transition that we knew were going to be like food trucks or rootstock provided real food. Um, leading up to the um, the CP at the brewery, instead of stopping for food at the brewery, actually stopped at the gas station just up the road from the brewery before then. And we bought, I swear, like we went in there and we bought like everything. And we ate, like I ate a whole 
egg salad sandwich standing at the checkout counter before we even checked out. Tim ate like two pieces of pizza before we even like checked out. And we bought like chicken fingers and extra sandwiches and wraps that we knew, okay, we're going to eat this in the paddle on the next leg. But I think Jesse also mentioned that eating more real food really helped to just like, you know, curb the, the GI issues. It can typically get in long races and it was a total game changer. So whenever you can fit it in and whatever it's going to last, real food is like amazing in these long races. And, and to that point, there's there's two points there. And I've asked Dave to bring up a, a photo because it shows a pretty nice moment in the race. We'll see that in a second. The real food 48 hour thing is interesting because one time I, we were racing in Scotland and we needed real food. And so we purchased 30 McDonald's hamburgers which held up for five days. So, so I know that wow. we, I know that we could debate, you know, if that, if that's real food or not. And um, it's always nice. We were the only American team in Scotland, of course, the only American team of the people who are there and who are, um, you know, we're the ones buying McDonald's. So we'll leave that to the uh, side. I want to point out here, uh, this picture we, we is up on the screen now. Uh, we have this one and the one that follows of the of the orange drink being consumed. And we'll have Dave bring that one up next. Um, we were very fortunate in those mountains. The teams were very fortunate that you had all of a sudden you came across these food trucks. And so this is this is Builders Rocks, I believe. There's a Builders yep. Rocks and there's a food truck at the um, this is now this picture here. This is a great picture. Besides, it, it's it's catching Jesse not looking like a like a like a model off the cover of Adventure Racing Monthly. What's nice <laughs> about this is, is as beat up as he is. Um, if, if you notice, he's drinking, what, what he's drinking there is, is, is a Starbucks uh, fruit lemonade, orangey thing. That's a member of Team Bones. Team Bones was eliminated from the race the day earlier due to an injury to a teammate. They woke up the next morning and rather than sit in their room and pout about getting knocked out of the race, they went to Starbucks, they bought four big containers and they came and they walked around and they served all the racers that were coming to CP37. So big shout out to Team Bones for doing yeah, the right amazing. thing. That was so cool. And, and, and amazing. Are, and that was a, a real example a of the sportsmanship act. we see in adventure racing, yeah. a class act all the way. Yeah. Um, yep. as that was fantastic to see. Yeah. I'm glad we, thank you, Dave, for showing that picture. We have a chance to call that out. The nutrition thing, obviously, over the course of the, the, the five days, you have to put real food in you, right? You can't live on bars and you just you end up falling apart. Um, yeah. We see we have a third member of Rim Mountain Racing entering the picture. Hey, puppy, how are you? Um, <laughs> for, for, your, for your shorter races, for the 24 hours, 48 hours, for the beginner out there, do you do the real food thing or do you have a different nutrition strategy for the shorter events? We're, we're a little different. So so I, can, I find I can usually go about 18 hours eating what I call like bike shop food. Right, like gels and goos and stuff like that. Waffles and bars and yeah, yeah. The, the stuff, the stuff that's in a wrapper, like that's meant, you know, to be for like, you know, a short, quick race. I can do about eighteen hours of that before my stomach starts to not be happy with me. But then a lot of times, like even in this year, I mean, man, I, our teammate Jesse laughed at this because I, I probably ate like twenty five, like individually, like bags of like fun sized chips in this race. But even in like, even like at nationals last year, a thirty hour race. <laughs> You know, I pack like four or five bags of chips just to get something salty that's a little different, that's high calorie. And it's not something, well, I do eat a lot of chips in my real life too, but uh, it's not something I would like normally have like as a healthy food option. But when you're racing, your body just needs that salt and those carbs. Even just something like that is a nice uh, alternative that I think. Um, the sweet, gooey kind of. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a different texture. It um, gives your body a different kind of energy. So I'll do that. And, and we'll do even more real food than I will even in shorter races. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even like we when we're from Wisconsin, right? we pack little things of individually wrapped cheeses with us. Um, oh, and maple syrup. There is now mm. people that make just like just straight maple syrup in a little like gel shot thing. And that stuff is amazing. Yeah, we got a guy so in Wisconsin good. called the Maple Dude. And the Maple Dude uh, makes like like basically like, a, you know, your your hammer gel size packet just of pure maple syrup. It's perfect. I, I probably went through yeah. 15 or 20 of those in Endless Mountains. Yeah, there's like uh, uh, in Vermont, same thing up here in Vermont. There's a whole crew there that's making the pure maple syrup and oh, putting that yeah. right down, which speaks nutritionally later on in the race. It's just your body's burning so many calories and you're going so hard that you just it goes right in you and it basically gets you know metabolized right away. You know, off we go. Um, we got a clarification maple- on the comments here. Good. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say the only thing about like maple syrup shots and those things, you know, it's going to be a quick spike and then a quick drop. Yeah. So like you want to yeah, balance exactly. that with some sort of protein or fat, you know? <laughs> yeah. So as a, as a, for the newer racer out there, please don't just bring maple syrup on a race. It'll, yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll be, be very, up, very, down. up, down. It'll yeah. be a pretty race. Yeah. Um, got a nice clarification here on the, uh, on the comment screen. Um, 
the uh, Starbucks donated Starbucks donated those, those drinks to Bones upon hearing about us. And that was a very nice thing. I don't know if you saw this cool. during the race, but the, the, the level of um, of local knowledge going on about the race was 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 very strong. And a lot of racers interacted with people who were who were local to the community and they knew what they were doing. Because very often we look like Martians. Right. We're running through. We, we, we look a certain way. We're dressed a certain way. Did you have any experiences during the race where you where you ran into? locals who knew about the race and things like that? Um, nobody we knew that knew about the race, but I mean, definitely we ran into a lot of locals who were like, what is going on? That's so cool. Where are you going? Oh, I know where that place is. Like, how can we yeah. follow along? And it was yeah. so cool. Like even like to see the people working that, that food concession stand at builders in the middle yeah. of the night. That yeah. was, it was just so cool to have people like that. They were excited to be out there, like literally in the middle of the night, serving us like whatever we wanted to order up off their menu. Uh, it, was so, it was so cool to see that. It was awesome. We have a picture up on the screen of uh, that, that Vlad Bukolo took of you running down the street under Paul Beatty Jewelers. So Paul Beatty Jewelers, welcome to the welcome to the free advertising we're now giving you on the on the uh, on our, our Zoom here. Um, yeah, you're right. And it was a very, very strong, very positive community. Everybody had great experiences um, the entire time. Um, we're going to hold off on the foot question a little bit before we get there because the, the foot question, the foot care is going to be interesting. You mentioned sleep before. Um, you mentioned 40 hours. How deep did you go? Did you did you sleep the first night? Did you go all the way through? How did you do that? And then as a second part of that question, in different races, when you race 24, 48 longer races, what's your sleep strategy there? How did you put it all together? Yeah, we – we planned ahead of time as a team to race uh, the first day and a half without sleep. And then the plan was, you know, you know, kind of based on like where you are on the course and, and what the conditions are like to try to sleep sometime before the sun comes up on day three. So night two, day three. Uh, and, and we did that. Um, we were getting the night two. We were getting really turned around on a creek like where we thought we were going south and we checked our compasses and we were going north. And we're like, how is this happening? And we're like, we need sleep but we can't sleep here, you know? So we're like, we're like trying to get up to the highest point possible to like, you know, get our tent set up um, with sleep strategy. Cause we're not a very like, you know, super expedition experience team. Like we weren't really sure how that was going to go. Um, but yeah, sorry. Okay. Um, but we plan to sleep the second night. So um, we, we ended up sleeping three hours the second night and three hours the third night and we had plans to sleep the fourth night but just because of like the circumstances we just had to go so we had to forego that that uh that last night of sleep um and kind of figure it out but that was kind of the biggest question our mind going in is like how is the strategy going to work um ultimately jesse came up with our sleep strategy and it was like it was really really great because we were worried, like, are we going to sleep too much during the race? And it turns out it was just the right amount because we felt absolutely amazing after sleeping that much. And we brought like enough gear with us to have a really, really good sleep, which is, again, was like another, you know, thing that you weigh is like we're carrying all this weight to bring this extra gear, like a pillow, an eye mask, like a sleeping pad, a sleeping bag, a full tent, which took 40 minutes to set up and then you're sleeping for three and a half hours and then 40 minutes to take down. And it's a lot of weight to carry with you. So it's balancing that versus like just taking a Vivian minimal stuff and getting like not great quality sleep for maybe less amount of time. So it was weighing all of that. But at the end of the day, I think like what we ended up doing worked really well for us. And that's the, and that's the, the macro strategy of doing the math. You're carrying the weight, but is the weight worth it because you get to sleep and by sleeping more, you get to race faster, right? And so there's, yeah. you're doing the math problem of how much we have to do here because there are some racers that probably carried less gear for that, got less sleep because they didn't want to waste the time in setting everything up, but they may have been slower as a result of that. And so that's that calculus that all the, all the teammates go through. You mentioned Jesse's sleep strategy kind of nailed it. You had talked about sleep earlier. Jesse's sleep strategy, you want to talk a bit more about that? And also, was that different from the way that you've approached it in the past? Was that a new strategy yeah. to you? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds definitely. like it was leaning towards more. It was more yes. sleep as opposed to yep. less. Yep. Yep. And that was definitely a lot more sleep than we had planned in other expedition races that we had done. Cause you're always worried about like, are you going to sleep too much? And then are the teams are going to pass you. But um, I think in expedition racing, at least that, that was one of the big takeaways that we learned was, you know, sleeping early, feeling great, being able to move really efficiently, not getting lost. You know, like when we woke up from those sleeps, like 
we were fresh, we were ready to go. Like we, you know, hammered out those next sections um, versus like being tired and getting lost and maybe being inefficient. Um, gotcha. But it's that balance. Right, and I think therefore that you can, get, back, you can, you can get the time back with the sleep. You, yeah. you get the time back with the sleep, but you lose it on the, because you get past and you get lost. Right. That's the, that's the, the challenge. Yeah. And, and I want to clarify, I, I think I fell asleep as soon as anyone did, as soon as my head hit the pillow. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I slept three and a half hours both times. So I think added up, we got seven hours of sleep, which, you know, three and a half is a good amount. In the past, we had done less than that in an expedition. Maybe race. we would plan for like 90 minutes, you know, at a time. Um, and I know the first night of sleep, like Jesse barely slept at all. Um, the second time we slept, he didn't get great sleep either whereas the rest of us did. So there's always, you know, that like who's sleeping well, who's sleeping not or not well. Um, but I think that that sleeping well and being rested pays off later in the race too, like in the end stages. Um, so I think time, the race again, there are teams that just fall apart at the end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You, you needed, you needed more race because now for the listeners and for the viewers, let's talk a bit more about the, the, the race itself. You ended up being second on the podium. You were trying to run down bend racing. Right. And so clearly they had a strong lead, but you knew that the lead was only so strong and you were continue to move quickly in the hopes that, that you were able to catch them through your own speed. How much, one of the questions that came in is how much did you know about the where you were in relation to the race like did you have a rumor where you were did you know how far ahead they were how were you doing at the end with that like what like because that's a huge because you might factor the sleep the navigation the nutrition but also the strategy of of how hard you have to go in relation to where the other teams are and then who's coming up behind you so how yeah, did that work so, out? Give us a peek into your, your the mental game there. Yeah, um, we, we were all pretty tight in the first day. Um, they put a little time on us. We we caught up to them by the end of the pack raft section. We put some time on them in the pack rafts. So to to the point, and actually we paddled one more point than they did that they chose to run to, which I think pulled some more time off that overall section for us, um, put us a little closer. Um, and then we got to the big trek um, after that long first long bike ride. And then, like I said, I think we I think we lost like eight or 10 hours to them on that trek for not having that supplemental map with us um and, and making some errors and uh anyways that uh, took a little window to Versailles. yeah so so obviously you know we're a little down after that and we're just like you know you come in you're that far behind you know 10 12 hours back we didn't know that there was a supplemental map at that point so we're like we just this is really hard like we did this really well and then you get in transition and find another team is like eight hours ahead of you and you're like oh, oh my gosh yeah comments always look at those maps yeah, right. Yeah. Someone says that in the comments. Yeah, those extra maps. Don't forget. <laughs> right. So then we got we got some sleep and we kept pushing. And um, you know, then all of a sudden we were seeing teams that we knew were ahead of us on that bike section. Um, and uh we ended up uh seeing Rootstock at the very end of it. Like we saw them leaving the brewery as we got to the brewery and realized we had pulled back whatever it was, four, four or five hours on them. Um my parents gotcha. told us after the fact that like the the race staff and they were all there hanging out with rootstock while rootstock was like eating and like you know having beer or whatever knowing that we were coming in and they couldn't say anything couldn't say anything to rootstock because right. they were watching the trackers so yeah anyways so um we did, we did cross paths there so then we knew we were like back into second place i think and we, but we had no idea where bend was this whole time the first time we knew where bend was is when we got to the very last trek and we figured they were going to be done by then like finished with the race and we got to that last trek and we were told they were still out there so then, you know, we've right. been pushing up to that point and then the race was on and, um, you know, then at one point during that last section, we saw a team that said, oh, we saw Bend coming in. They're, they're out on the paddle already. And of course, that took some wind out of our sails and we slowed the speed up a bit and then then Rootstock caught up to us and then we had to go <laughs> and start sprinting. So, so you think you're like, oh, well, we're locked in the second. First way ahead of us, you look back oh, and all of yeah. a sudden they're behind you. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's this yo-yo of emotions back and forth. Yeah, exactly. They're there and they're looking super fresh. And like we're like sitting on the side of the trail and they're like, hey, do you want some wasabi peas? Oh, we just ran out. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> and so then after that, we're like, shit, like they're like, they're right, they're where we are. They've caught up to us. And so like it, no matter no matter how exhausted you are, there are so many like ups and downs in expedition racing that like on day five. We were exhausted, but we see the third place team just pass us. And then we were all out sprinting to the next transition area. And we ran, we that, ran up to that like tower, that observation tower, ran down like. And Brian, that's where we were planning to get the next sleep was like, at least like a, just a quick one, like 30 minutes in transition. But 
then they were behind us. So we basically had to do like a five hour sprint to the finish to make sure we held on to second. Not five, um, five hours. Right. Yeah. Five sprinting and paddling. Oh yeah. yeah five or yeah, six yeah, hours. Okay. Yeah. yeah really so you, you, find, where, where, you find the energy okay. if there's the motivation. So it's, it's, it's so much right. psychological, you know? Well, that's like, that's like the idea of like giving up, giving up a, a lead second place or whatever is at the end, at the end of a five day race is just brutal to your soul. And let's be honest, we've all been there where we're, our team is kind of walking down the trail. You hear another team and you all break into a jog because you have to look good, <laughs> right? You ne never reveal the fact that you're falling apart during the race. You have to keep going. Um, we're going to go to some bigger questions in a second. And that we have some questions about the course to ask here, but I, someone did ask, and this is a, this is a little granular, but it's good to talk about your bin contents. Like, so in adventure racing, for those who are newer to the sport, very often in bigger races, a bin of your own is given to the race director and it's moved around the course and you have access to that bin multiple times during the race. It's usually a big multi-gallon tote you get like at Home Depot. Did you have an extra change of clothes in there, extra food? Did you have extra bicycle equipment? Like what, what, what basically was in your bin? Did you tape anything to the inside of the bin? Things like that. Because that's an important strategy thing because you could lose time in transition if you're not careful. So what was your bin? There's some great pictures coming up right now with the donated Starbucks. Um, yeah. So what yeah. was your what was your bin like? So we had um, we had an extra set of shoes for every big section of the race. So like the first 24 hours is its own section, you know, and then every section was its own after that. So fresh pair of shoes, fresh pair of socks, new change of clothes. And it was all wrapped up in a little plastic like grocery bag and labeled with which section it was. And then within that, um, we had like the the reusable shopping bags, like the totes. And we had those mm -hmm. in our bins and then you would put everything for each section. So extra food, sunscreen, lube, um, you know, wipes to like wipe down your body before you put like new clothes on and also like a little towel or something to set down on the ground. So when you were barefoot, um, you can see my flip-flops right there on the picture. I had some flip-flops yep. like in the boat and also in transition. So like you could let your feet air out and then a little towel to like put down in like in that rocky area and one of the transition areas, it was nice to have that down. Um, so yeah, food. That's a really you know, good, that's a really good piece of advice, by the way, the sandals and the, and the towel, mm -hmm. um, for the, for those looking to take care of foot care, and we'll get to the foot question in a little while, Anna, you're going to talk a lot about foot care, um, is every opportunity to get your feet as dry as possible. That was a piece of advice that Abby Perkis gave me super early in my, in my adventure racing um, endeavors, because my feet were just disintegrating. So get your feet as dry as possible. Um, so, so good point. Super important to point that out to the newcomer. You asked about um, anything attached to the lid. Tape, the, yeah, the one yeah. thing taped to the lid was before the race, we had done our own time estimates, not using rootstock time estimates, but our own time estimates. Um, Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. Of, of how long we thought everything would take and how many calories we need and how long, you know, uh, how much and, elevation was on that section, how long the section was, what was next. And also in which transition area, what needed to be done. So like leading up to that, we could know, okay, yep. we need to change out these batteries. We need to change our shoes. We need to get this new bladder, gotcha. this new pack, right. like everything kind of portioned out as to like what to anticipate in the transition area coming up. So like a little checklist of gotcha. like, if you're sleep deprived, all you have to do is just read, okay, here's what I need to do. And then I'm ready to leave. <laughs> gotcha. And Even it's down important to change though, clothes. <laughs> right. Well, because during the race, you get into this mode of between the exhaustion, the fatigue and the moving around, you, 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 you get far less intelligent, right? You, you forget things, leave things behind. So you need those written reminders waiting for you yeah. and advance of the race. You have to read through that pre-race schematic very, very closely. I was in an expedition race one time where I thought I was going to have access to my bin and there was going to be food there. And I had, I had no food and my teammate, Jim, who knows me well enough, he had extra food for me because he knew I was going to screw something up and, and I did gloriously and he bailed me out. Um, so very good. Pulling back a little bit and pulling a bit, bit more back to the, what was your favorite of the, of the multiple sections at Endless Mountains? What was your favorite part of the race? What did you enjoy the most? What do you enjoy? Um, the pack rafting was really fun. We'd never done that before. We bought a brand new pack raft tried it out. Like we were really, we tried it out at home. We were really concerned about puncturing it. So we like pretended like it was like a baby and it couldn't touch anything in the water. Mm -hmm. And then like mm -hmm. when we got, and I think who was it? The toilet was it Glenn. Yeah. Glenn. Yeah. Glenn Lewis, Glenn Lewis was like, don't worry about that. Like that thing can take like, you know, can take anything. And so like we, yeah, we really enjoyed um, using the pack raft. I, I actually, gotcha. that was my favorite section too. I thought, we I thought that was really, really fun. fun time. Yeah, it would have been nice if the water yeah, level was a little bit higher, 
that would have been more fun. But yeah. yeah, doing the rapids and rocks was really fun. I thought it was great. Yeah. It, it made for some strategy and just like tough, toughing it out on that section. Yeah. yeah. And, and also with that section too, it got increasingly better. So as much as walking you had to do in the beginning, because it was kind of bony, you got into deeper and deeper waters yeah, after the true. first six miles, which probably felt eternal. I saw that you had an MRS pack raft. We had a lot of really nice reviews come out of that following the race. So the folks who used MRS rafts were very oh, I'm happy. so happy with that boat. It's so it's incredible. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and you had the double. Yeah, the, that was a, a the yeah. We, we had a, had, yeah MRS right? Barracuda R2. I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think looking at Mark Latanzi's splits, we we had the fastest split on that pack raft stage of any team. Um, so yeah, as, as, as race as race directors, are, will you be bringing pack rafts into your races? Because I know that Main Summer Adventure race this weekend has an optional pack raft section. Do you see that evolving into the sport? It's, it's to, our, our race. I mean, we get 500 people at our race, and and I, I think a big with that many people, you gotta you gotta think really hard about um, accessibility for people, even in, even in terms of cost, right? So. I don't know. Maybe if, if we ever put on a longer race, yeah, we would do that. But our 18 hour, even, you know, we've got access here in Wisconsin to a really great supplier of canoes um, where I, where I think it would be a, a tough sell to get as many people as we're getting to buy pack rafts. I think we might lose some audience, gotcha. but it, it's really fun. Yeah. And I think especially for longer races, um, it, it's a cool thing to have. Gotcha. gotcha. And for those listening in, at home, Eric Caravalla of Pack Rafting Adventures has worked with USARA to put together a series of videos um, about pack rafting and how they could be used. So check those out. And I yeah, do agree we, with we you. We watched a lot of those leading up to the race because we hadn't pack rafted before. Good. So thanks, Eric. <laughs> nice. Good job, Eric. There's And there are definitely parts of the country where um, there's more waterborne access to boats and some parts of the country that have less of that. So very good about that. Um, our last granular topic here is about foot care. Now, a bit of a warning to our our viewers at home. Uh, we have a picture of Anna's feet following the race. It's going to come up in about, I'd say, 15 seconds or so. Um, you may want to look here away. Here it comes. They may look away. So, so Anna, those are your feet at the end of the race. Um, you were warned out there in the Internet. Okay. Walk us through. Uh, I was going to say, how was your foot care? I think we kind of know how your foot care was. <laughs> What, I've read what happened? How did it go? I, I tend to have problems with my feet, usually like even in 24 to 30 hour races. And so like I've read every post about foot care. I've tried everything. I did like the sanding my feet and moisturizing for weeks up until it. Um, I think what went wrong was there's a classic video out there, which is fantastic about like hot spots for hiking. And so uh, hot spots on your feet when you're hiking that you use like um, tincture of benzoin to get stickiness. You do KT tape. Um, and it's actually, it actually worked for me. Um, and, uh, and Emily Korsh also in um, the main adventure race, it was fine. But, um, but lately I've been noticing like the KT tape tends to like move. And so wherever I put the KT tape, it just forms this massive blister underneath. And so for these long truck sections, I think I was just making things worse. Um, so our teammate, Jesse introduced me to, uh, Luca, I think Lucapor tape, um, which I should have used just from the get-go and in the future in expedition races, I might just tape my feet with that. Um, <laughs> we could probably get rid of the photo. Yeah. yeah I just, I just, <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> yeah. the because, thank you. It's so bad. So bad. Right. You don't even, nobody needs to see that. But, um, but, uh, I probably like to pre-tape my feet with that going into it. Cause you put that look Lucapor tape in on. And as long as you do it smooth and right the first time, it is not going to move. You're not going to be able to remove that for weeks. Like it is stuck gotcha. on there. So I think, so you, so you need that barrier. You need that. You need a, a skin barrier to put on there. That's what you I kind do. of are. Because Tim did nothing. Because Tim, Tim how, how, did you, how did you hold and, up? Tim? And yeah, yeah. You I mean, just, I've you never really good. had foot problems. Uh, I, I not really. Maybe once or twice. But um, no, I, I just made sure uh, basically to put dry shoes on at the start of each section. The start of each section where I thought it would stay dry for a reasonable amount of time. Um, just did that, and it worked. It, it was all right. <laughs> Um, apologies to Dylan Sparks. Hey, Dylan. Sorry, Dylan. That's the way it goes. Now, but it's worth pointing out where we showed that photo and it is, but I think it's safe to say, Anna, that your experience, we've all have beat up feet and your feet looks like they were full size bigger, right? You said that earlier. That's how swollen they were. Yeah, they were um, one size, one shoe size larger at the end of the race than what 
yeah, they were yeah. At the beginning. Yeah. So I mean, it's been it's been quite the foot year between your picture now and then Mark Latanzi's picture over oh, the winter with his frostbite, yeah. and he's fine by the way. But yeah. take care of your feet. But the point being is is that it, there's a lot of different strategies used, things to do along the way to take care of your feet, keep them dry as much as possible, sandals, mm-hmm. and and I, while they hurt after the race you still came in second place. It doesn't look like it really impacted your ability to travel during the race. No, it she just toughed it, hurt she like toughed it out. I could rolling. tell, uh, yeah, I could tell it must've been hurting, but she toughed it out. Yeah. Cause gotcha. we were, I mean, we and were you, running and, the last trek and we were running the last, you know, the last even two miles in, we were running that and she was still, you know. Yeah. Right. And that speaks to the dynamic, the human relations dynamic that while you're going through some sort of struggle during the race, whether it be physical or emotional or mental, because you, you owe these three other people, you want to honor their time and effort, mm-hmm. we're able to sort of step up and put that to the side, right? That's part of the beauty of adventure racing is that we sacrifice yeah. ourselves to the team. Um, and you know, but yeah, foot care is a whole, you know, and it's temporary, right? It's, it's a temporary Greg discomfort. Yeah, exactly. My Greg feet are Killian, fine right now. You know, New England. You're fine, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, the, the stumps are good. Um, <laughs> when, he, when he introduced Untamed New England in 2018 at the pre-race meeting, um, and Grant, feel free to bring back that race whenever you want, he mentioned the um, the idea of permanence and that this is not a permanent moment. Like you, you, you move through it, right? And that's part of the lessons we learned in adventure racing. Mm-hmm. Speaking of lessons, let me ask a bit of a larger question here. Uh, you had 100 and almost 120 hours of racing. You came in second place. You've had a lot of success. There might be a bit of a ceiling effect where you know a lot already about your yourself and adventure racing. Did you learn anything new about yourself, about your team dynamics, about racing in the race? What lessons did you take away? I, I think like we weren't quite sure going in about the sleep strategy, and I'm really happy with how that paid off. I'm also happy to know that like, if we had to do like at the end of the race, like a 44 hour push without sleep, which is what we did, that we could, we can manage that even with a couple like overnight battles in the middle of that, um, that we managed to do that. Um, I think like just knowing like, and getting more dialed in, like what kind of foods are going to taste good on day three versus day four and five versus day one. I think some of that stuff, I mean, you know, it's, it's, that's what's so great about adventure racing is you, you always have more to learn and figure out and fine tune. So it's a lot of those, those little things. And, and so much of it, honestly, is personal preference. Um, you know, there, there's no secret to unlock, to be a great adventure racer. A lot of it's just figuring out what, what, works for you. what works for you, what shoes work for you, what foods work for you, what sleep strategy works for you. So I think just like figuring all that kind of stuff out, um, getting a comfortable sleep. That was huge. Uh, J- Jesse was real big on let's make sure we bring sleeping pads and everything like that. And I was so happy good, we did really that. Good quality sleep. Yeah. And also too, like there are so many highs and lows over all of all those days. Like you can feel like you hit rock bottom and then you just know like, okay, this is, this is not going to last forever. I'm going to come out of this. Like, what can I do to bring myself out of it as fast as possible? Is it food? Is it nutrition? Is it, you know, a conversation or, you know, managing my pain or whatever it is to bring yourself out of it, but you're going to have those lows. And then like a few hours later, you're going to feel like the best you've ever felt and have these highs, especially after sleeping, you're going to feel amazing. So it's kind of like that ebb and flow of the whole race, knowing that your speed is going to vary your emotional, like mental game is going to vary. Um, but at all, it, it's never permanent. It's always temporary. And I think the more of these you do, the more you you re- try to remember that for the next one. So you get better at <laughs> better so at reminding yourself of that in those low points, right? To keep pushing, keep moving. And, and the idea of the low points, as one of the uh, one of the viewers asked a question before the race, where did it, where did it go haywire for you? Where where would you recognizing its ups and downs over the course of the race? What was the what was the bottom of the race for you? What, what did you well, have to fight through as a team? I, I, I think on that big trek section, a, a couple of things I think the supplemental map would have helped us significantly on where we were getting thrown off. I think that was rough. I mean, we, we took extra hours out there, literally hours on a couple of checkpoints, like two two hours plus mm-hmm. per a couple of checkpoints. So I, I, I think that was a big one that like that that brought us pretty low as a team, just trying to get that figured out. Um, you know, and then probably coming off that section and realizing we were 10 or 12 hours back at first. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think we were in fifth place or something. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we, we were just, we were hoping to come out of that. Not that bad. <laughs> so those are some low points, but you know, that was what 48 hours in, you know, we still had 50 plus hours or, you know, 60, yeah. 70 plus hours of racing left. So, you know, yeah. plenty of time to come back from that, obviously, which is yeah. what we did, I guess. I saw the comment, yeah. Ron was feeling bad on one day and then great the next day. So it's like a day, you know, a day here and a day there. Yeah. 
and um, gotcha. yep. Ferris uh, socks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, Dylan Sparks. Dylan Sparks put down his fork at his dinner and asked a question about spare socks. <laughs> yeah. How many, how many <laughs> pairs of socks did you go through? We had spare socks for each section, and then we had an extra pair of spare socks just packed, which we ended up changing into gotcha. when our feet got wet. Yeah. Gotcha. Did you do? Did you do a full change of clothes? For pretty like, much each like basically just yeah each section. I, I just said no. I just had two two outfits for the whole time. The rest of us had fresh okay. underwear, bike shorts for the bike section. Apparently, I missed Tim, the memo on that. <laughs> Tim does. Tim <laughs> the rest of us changed. Yeah, had a full change for pretty much each section. Like he was just tough as nails. One set of clothing. That's it. That's all. That's all he needs. He's ready right now. He could leave the house right now and start racing. He's been wearing this for like um, five days. Exactly. He's, he's getting ready for the next race. So, so what is the, what is the, you know, second place, big race, inaugural race, big, big course, great results. Um, I've been on record as saying, I knew you were going to be on the podium. I was, it was an early, I was an early flag waiver for team rib. I knew it was, I called it early. What has the post post race experience been like for you? One thing that Rootstock did masterfully during this race is they assembled a crack media team. I mean, yeah. I, I can start oh, yeah. naming all the yeah, I mean Chris, Vlad, Nick, the photographers, yeah. Jeff O'Connor, the dot watchers at home. Like we were a lot here. After the race, did you have a chance to absorb all of the media that was happening during the race? And what is that, that how has that changed your view of the race? Yeah, it was amazing. Like being able to go, but we're still going through all the pictures, right? And it's been so much fun. There's so much great media that they put out. We've never had like a studio photo shoot at the finish line. Like that was. Yeah, Chris yeah. Radcliffe's studio amazing. pictures at the end were awesome. So fun. You know, another thing that I really loved, and, and I think it was actually Jesse that first forwarded it to me and I forgot. And then I, I actually forwarded it to him again after I finally read it was uh the um if you go on um attack, attack points um there was a great discussion going on a, the attack point forum about this race between a bunch of people yep. we know and it was fun kind of going yep. through the play-by-play -play of what's happening and what people were speculating about about our team um, yeah and, and then like you know knowing what was really going on when we were out there and seeing what people were, were speculating from the dots that they could watch <laughs> that was a lot of fun to see there, there are many points during the race where we were like you know something would crazy would happen and we'd be like oh this is going to be interesting for anybody dot watching like i'm going to be like i wonder what's going on like then we looked afterwards yep and sure enough people were like did you see that other team and we always saw that other team like yep. we knew we knew yeah, that, that was happening uh, like adventure race discussion group too or, or maybe yeah. dot watchers page on facebook had a bunch of posts too that were fun to go through mm -hmm. afterwards but oh, i, I yeah. think the biggest thing was all the all the awesome like yeah media that rootstock put together for this yeah. was just so cool to see um we felt pretty lucky to get yeah that that much that much coverage it was really cool so when there were two things worth pointing out was credit to mark harris adventure enablers the trackers were top notch Dang, challenging yeah. during the awesome. canoe they always are they, they every race everywhere because the way canoes work and the way mountains work it's tough there um yeah. one of the one of the uh one of the people following at home who's not really into adventure racing too much said this was the best reality show they've seen the entire year like they were following along at home. Cool. Um, and it was a lot of drama on the course, like that that wild trek. The fact that at the time that Bones and Ben took went off in different directions on that course, which is basically a huge mm -hmm. circle. Yep. The fact that you were right there, rootstock and you were nipping at each other. Like there was a whole to, to their mm -hmm. credit, they did a really good, they did an excellent job getting all of that ready. Um, and so thank you, Rootstock, for that. And I think that that kind of sets a tone and expectation for future races that are going on um and we're, we're blessed with the technology we have like 24-hour races now have live tracking like that's the standard those of you racing in maine this weekend um with strong machine at that main adventure race you're going to put trackers on the hogback just had trackers like it's it's built into the culture of the sport now it's great to see mm -hmm. yeah. um this question is always a tough question to ask and we're getting we're gonna we're gonna probably end about 10 minutes or so but it's a tough where does this race experience rank in terms of your other races? And it's a tough question. I guess people to pick between their children. So it's it's an unfair question in some ways. But how does this sort of, where does this fall for you in terms of your overall racing experiences? It was incredible. I think it's one of the best races I've ever done. Uh, it, it was just so wild and remote. I mean, right, there was, you know, full 24-hour plus periods where we didn't see another person. Mm -hmm. Um that that was really really cool and we we've known brent and abby for years and just knowing them and the kind of people that they are and their attention to detail and how much they care about the sport and the experience and like the the organization like we just knew ever since they announced that they were going to put this race on we're like 
we really got to try to do this because it's going to be amazing. And it did not disappoint. Like the navigation was hard, which we love. Um, that just the experience was amazing. The way that they were able to engage the community was just unparalleled and it's totally them. They're amazing. You know, like why, when you're talking to them, like, why not want to just jump in and totally, you know, be on board and help out. And so I think like, this just goes to show what amazing people they are and race directors. And like, we're, we're hoping to do the race again next year. Like well, just that was my next on. question. Do you plan it? You plan on going back next year? You plan on coming back and see if you can yeah, get I'm, on I'm top pretty of the sure. I'm pretty sure we don't so. want to miss that. Yeah. 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 So I, I I do know for a fact that that already the Brent was out this weekend. I think you put some pictures on Facebook of the of the course they're putting together. Um, you know, still going to be in, in Pennsylvania, which is a, a beautiful. I mean, I mean, talk about an underappreciated section of land and just that 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 central north central part of Pennsylvania, just town after town, and and a beautiful place to go visit. And you know, you know, everyone should book their trips there. You've answered the question about going back next year, knowing what you've knowing what you experienced this year and knowing your own racing and all those pieces come together. What do you think you're going to do differently next year to get ready? I know that's a, it's a tough question to ask so far away from the race, but clearly you were number two, you were, you make it a longer race. I, I, and I was saying earlier, if it was, if it was a, a seven day race and not five days, they might've ran, they had caught up with Ben to Ben who ran a hell of a race and did a great yeah. job. Yeah. What do you yeah. think you're going to have to do next year to get back on the podium or to win the race? What's going to have to be different about Rib Mountain's preparation? We will look at the supplemental maps. <laughs> yeah. we'll make sure we check out the supplemental maps. How about that? Um, yeah. You no, know, I, I think beyond that, um, you know, I, I think uh, we could have done a better job ahead of leaving for Pennsylvania, having our bins just ready to go. Um, we were doing a lot of packing. We got there to spend a lot of time. We're up later than I would have liked the two days before the race. Um, and then that plays in the next thing, which I'd like to get more sleep in the few days before the race. We had some nights of, you know, just like four or five hours. And that's just, I would have rather been banking sleep leading up to it. So I think just being, and, and the, the bin preparedness thing too, is just a, a, a function of our being less experienced, not, not experienced expedition racers, right? Like just knowing how your bin's got to be organized and what's got to be in it. Once they sent out that schematic, um, I'd love just to get that done in the first you know few days after that and just be ready to go. I think just gotcha. preparation to, stuff like that. Because to the to the point, because adventure racing is such a um a, a chaotic sport, not really the best word to use, but because there's the there's the opportunity for chaos during the course of a race, things to go different and things to go haywire and go left and right on you. The level of preparation going into the race, having your having your sleep squared away your fitness squared away, your bin squared away, you're turning down the impact of when things go eventually go crazy. Because for every racer everywhere, it goes crazy, right? They drop a map, they forget a supplemental, someone's not feeling well. And so, and that, and there's the, the big life lesson you see is that the level of preparation you have going into the race directly impacts the experience of the race itself. You have to get ready for when things are going to go bad. And so you control as much as you can. So you're, you're, you're spot on for that. And I, and I do agree with you. I think that the, um, I think next year is going to be, it's going to be a great addition of the race. And I'm looking forward to having rib come back and, and, and go forward again. And, and yeah. before that race, which is by the way, for those of you who want to set some dates aside, that's June, it's June. It's the week of June 26 next year. It's after school ends and it's before July. It's a great time of year to be out there. What's next now for rib? What do you, what's coming up the rest of the season? It season's not over, right? We're, and then we're oh, the hemisphere. Yeah. We're, we're in the summer. Keep what, what's uh, next for you. Yeah, and we got some shorter ones. I mean, I just I just raced on Saturday in the Minnesota Ranger and Clubs Adventure Race. Um, we have a 10-hour race in northern Illinois coming up in August. Um uh I might throw my hat in the ring for solo nationals that that AR George is putting on. Um, we're still trying to figure out if we can uh get out to California for US Area Nationals. It's tough for me as a teacher that time of year to get that far away. Um, yeah, but then I think we yeah. got some other Wisconsin races. So I think just a lot of, for, for sure, a lot of like eight to 12 hour stuff. It's an eight, yeah, 18 eight, hour we've got an 18 hour race in the Wisconsin series in November. We're going to do so just, just a handful of stuff. I mean, I think we're probably doing five or six more races by the end of the year. So, so besides racers, you're also race promoters. You mentioned 500 racers. I think you have the largest adventure race in the country. I think we did this is year. That, yeah. A that, couple. Is that true? Yeah. So we, we put on two races a year. We put on a small winter race. Um, in Wausau, Wisconsin, where you live in Red Mountain. Um, and that, you know, that usually draws a couple hundred people. And it's just like a three hour 
uh, race through the snow with not, not even fat bikes. We usually just use pavement roads and bring whatever bike you want. And you can bring snowshoes if you want, if the snow is deep enough to need it, we will rent you some too. Uh, and then our big race is, um, a three hour, eight hour and 18 hour race called the rib mountain adventure challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's always on Memorial day weekend in the Wausau, Wisconsin area. And still we're, we're holding out to maybe being able to make it out to nationals. Um, I think nationals this year is going to be just incredible. I mean, it being in California, the yeah. terrain is going to be insane. I got to try to make it work. Um, <laughs> Ishai, the yep, race yep. director, he's 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 going to put on a really really good event. He's got a whole adventure company that he puts on lots of like races and events. And I think um, I've I've met him personally, and like his his yeah his organization and his passion and his skills. I think he's going to put on just a really really incredible event worth the trip out to California. If you can make it and on the topic of nationals to that credit, USARA's created the structure where the registration is ongoing for nationals right now. If you want to take a shot at it, no one's yeah. disqualified from going. You don't like have it's, to qualify. To, to their, yeah. 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 And, and thank you. you and Michael Garrison out. for that. You know, your, your qualification got you yeah. preferential. You could sign yeah. up earlier, but, but under the leadership of Garrison and the U.S. Yeah, it's executive an, it's board. It's going to be an incredible race. We're going to, we, we haven't really thought that far ahead, frankly, but. Yeah, if, if I can pull it off with work, we should try to make it. Everyone should try to make it. We usually awesome. try to go to every nationals, but I mean, you're up against, you know, you're racing with like the top adventure racing teams in the country, and it's just such a cool environment to be there yeah. yep. with that caliber of racers. Yeah, and the, and the great thing about this sport, and like so many other ways, is the fact that the the the, the 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 citizen racer, which I consider myself to be right, enjoyed doing this. I get to line up next to the best in the country. Like this weekend with Dally, well, team team Toyota Tundra the Wadali who won that they're going to be up in Maine this weekend. And so there's a chance to be there. So, so Mary and her crew is going to be there. Um, thank you so much for your time for the, for the viewers for who be here. Thank you for who's joined on board. We see we have really nice numbers on the, on the live stream right now. This is going to be um, as well as living on Facebook and people can watch this. It's also going to be pulled down audio only and placed on the dark zone um feed as a podcast so people can listen to this um they could always i'll have links to all the photos and all the pictures on there um we really appreciate your time thank you to usara for for putting all of this on and having us all go together for the listeners out there thank you for your questions um we hope to see you at nationals it's a great thing to get going out there um so anna and tim thank you very much all the best and have a great race and season thank you very much for being here tonight thanks for having us brian thanks Thanks again to Anna and Tim of Rib Mountain Racing for joining us for this special edition of The Dark Zone. All your thoughts, comments, and questions can be sent to brian at ardarkzone.com. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Story ideas, guest ideas, adventure racing ideas, all the ideas. Send them our way and we'll consider them. Thanks again for being a listener and have a great day.